and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How do we get from there to here? Very excited to have Sarah Boyce on today. This is one of the special podcasts as part of Maintainer Month. Sarah is one of the maintainers we are contacting and talking to to learn about their experience. These are Tuesday episodes, so I hope you enjoy listening. Sarah, it's great to have you. Welcome. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling fantastic. Thank you for having me on, Richard. So Sarah is joining me today from Kuhn or Cologne, Germany, where she works for Commandus, which is a biomed app that helps people sell and deal with chemistry-like stuff. But she's also a backend developer and a member of Django's review and triage team. Django is a really awesome Python app that helps you build really great web apps. She regularly contributes to Django and other packages within the Python ecosystem. In her spare time, does badminton, paints portraits, and encourages others to contribute to open source. So Sarah, thank you. Welcome. First off, does your work with Django overlap with your work at Commandus at all? In some ways it does in that in Commandus, yes, we use the Python and Django for our backend and that's what I'm doing day to day. But I would say the kind of stuff I do with Django is really more deep in the weeds than I would do in my normal day job. But yeah, they definitely complement each other, I would say. Awesome. Django's been around for a while, right? It's at least 10 years old at this point. Tell me how you got involved. So there's definitely been this kind of journey towards doing some open source contributions that I've been on. And we can go into why I wanted to do that. But in terms of how I got involved, yes, I've been using Python Django for pretty much all of my career. And I was really excited to try and give back and trying to get a bit more involved in the community. The community is definitely something that the Python Django people are very proud of because they tend to be very nice. <laughs> and I wanted to be part of that. So working on tickets and raising some PRs was my way to get involved. And yeah, at some point I took courage and started and haven't looked back since. So triage and review to me is often a thankless kind of job because it's often sort of shunting someone from one place to another and saying, this is what this is. This person can help you. This is what this person, this book can help you. But then you don't actually fix the problem all the time. Unless reviewing something is really important, but it's like a reviewer for a journal where it's like, cool, thanks, but I just wanted to get it published. How am I wrong and how am I right with that assumption? I think a lot of what you're saying is right in terms of how this works with Django specifically. Review and triage is maybe not necessarily the most accurate representation of what everybody does. The reason I was invited was that I had started contributing on a semi-regular basis. And with a lot of people who contribute, they're like a one-hit wonder where they come and they do one thing and then they disappear and that's fantastic. But a much smaller group of people who keep coming back and because I kept coming back, I kind of joined this group. It doesn't have any really special powers that perhaps people might think it does. One of the responsibilities is that we can review some of the PRs that they have two full-time contractors that work on Django. These are the Django fellows and we can review their PRs as well. And I think that's perhaps where the review came from. In terms of ticket triaging and actually being there and answering every ticket 
what I sometimes get involved in tickets and I try to help, but I can't take credit for doing that. I don't do that as much as a lot of other people. That makes sense. When you're talking about how nice the community is and how that's why you wanted to get involved and why you stayed and kept coming back. How does that show up? Where do you see people be nice? Do you have like a Slack channel where you're talking to other reviewers? Do you, what's your interaction with the community that causes you to feel good? So it starts on really basic levels with certain people. When they review, they always say thank you, regardless of whether they accept. There will be lots of comments anyway, just because of the nature of how it works. There's various cutting guidelines and things that not everybody knows. And you will get a lot of input, but you will always be thanked for your contribution and that you've got involved. And I think that's really important (laughs) to recognize the piece of work that somebody's done. In terms of other elements with the way that we communicate, funnily enough, I was in a conversation about this today as to whether we need a Slack channel or something like that. We don't have a specific one just for that team because everything we do is very much in the open and we want to keep it as much in the open as possible so that we don't have a group of people who have access to information that other people don't have access to. So we don't have some kind of discussion about a ticket that happened in a private place or something like that. But there are more live chat elements. There's a Discord channel, which is very active. But it depends whether you're the kind of person who wants to be on there. So it really does vary. But yes, I would say that throughout the ecosystem of how you communicate, everyone is generally very nice to each other. And there is also policing of it. There will be people who will remove messages that don't go by a certain code of conduct, for example, and I feel like that element of all is managed by the Django Software Foundation and they try and permeate this nice culture around Django. But it is definitely difficult. Not everybody would have had the best experience. But on the whole, I think it is very friendly and people do care and they do actively try. Good to have a foundation that helps out with things like code of conduct. Because that's one of the hardest parts of being a maintainer is dealing with people who disagree with you and trying to figure out how to move forward from there. Are you a member of the foundation? Yes, I am an individual member. That's, that's correct. Individual yes. member. Yeah, but you're not on the main team for it. Correct. There's a, like cool. a board. Yeah, yeah, I'm not on that. But I'm an cool. individual. Yeah, exactly. The reason I ask is I'm curious, obviously you do some of this work with your normal job that pays you and the work that you do for Django is unpaid. Do you feel like they help each other out? Do you feel like your work in open source has helped you get this job or keep it? It definitely benefits me. You're right. I don't get paid for it, but it's definitely benefit me. I'm getting more opportunities that I didn't have before, such as coming here. And I'm getting a bit more of a, maybe a personal brand. I'm becoming more known in the community and it doesn't even have to be just Django itself. Django is also has a presence in the Python community. Uh, I'm still fairly new. So I do think it would only grow with the more effort I invest into it. And personally, I hate technical interviews. I really despise them. And if I can get to a stage where I've had done enough work out in the open that people can see how I interact with, people can see how I code. And 
I've got a little bit of a presence, then I think those kind of really horrible discussions that we do becomes less necessary. And definitely with my job, when my boss hired me, he had checked me out online and there wasn't as much there as there is now. And I think in future, it would definitely help me. And what about the other contributions that you make across the Python ecosystem? Not so much, (laughs) but it will be minor things. So for example, because of how I'm more involved in Django now, I was testing the alpha release of 4.2. 4.2 is out now. If you want it, people could take 4.2. When I was testing the alpha release, it also, in some ways, it tests the underlying packages that we use in Commandix. And for example, there was a test that was failing because there was an update in 4.2, which this package needed to adapt to. And then I would do something like that. So I've seen that there's this need and I go and adjust it for that package. And sometimes also in my work, maybe we're using a certain package and it doesn't have a feature that we need. And so I would then try and contribute with, this is the use case, this is what I want to do, and this is how it could be done and all this kind of stuff. And I feel very able to do this because I've gained a lot of confidence working on Django that are pretty happy reaching out to people. I know that everybody is generally nice and they're not going to be like, who are you or whatever. And so it's more of these minor, small contributions, one off, right? The one hit wonder again. I do it every now and again. How do you manage your time effectively with all of this extra volunteer work as well as badminton and painting and work? Curious. Okay. Funnily enough, I haven't painted in a long time. Yeah, some things have slipped through the net. But in terms of how it works, I think I have a few spare hours a week. It will be quite often that I've got some time on a Sunday or something like this, and I've decided that's what I want to do. My job is flexible enough that I can also respond to things during work and they're aware that I make open source contributions and they encourage it. So it's not something that I get discouraged to do. So I have that kind of privilege and that's how I manage it really. So I will have like a period of time that I do a burst of work, usually on something like a Sunday so that I am able to get something done. And then the kind of just responding to comments or anything like that, the kind of small things that drip through, I tend to be able to react to them if it's not a huge thing. And then if it's a huge thing, I'll just wait till another Sunday or something like that. So that's generally how I manage it. Thank you. When I think about frameworks, I used to work on the Angular team. I was in the triage committee for the Angular team, which I thought was somewhat similar, but I also did it at work. At the time, I just wanted to be involved with an open source project. But frameworks are really interesting because they don't generally have end users who do a lot of stuff. They have end users who are developers who are then building things that also have end users who are like doing stuff in the world. So why Django? What is it in Django that was really interesting to you that you stuck around? Django found me. I didn't find Django. So with the very first job that I had, they used Django for their web applications. And so I learned it on the job and I like it. It's something that I've come to know and love as I've learned more about it. It's a batteries included framework. So there's a lot of stuff in there that you're given for free 
And I really enjoy having all of those tools available to me. I haven't used that many other frameworks. So I don't have an opinion as to whether it's loads better than other things. I know lots of people have opinions, but yes, I'm in a bit of a Django bubble. Nice. What are you looking forward to? I think on this journey, it's just going to continue to get better. So I'm really looking forward to meeting some of the other contributors and maintainers of Django. So there's a number of people that I've interacted with quite a lot I've never met. I'm going to DjangoCon this year and there will be a few of them there that I will definitely get to meet and that's really exciting. It would be good to put the in-person presence, connect them to that kind of online presence. But yeah, I think I'm looking forward to where this takes me, essentially. Is that DjangoCon in Durham or the one in Zanzibar? Which one are you going to? Oh, neither. I'm going to the one in Edinburgh. Oh, Edinburgh's lovely. That'll be nice too. Cool. Okay. Multiple Django cons happening. That's Django Con US and Django Con Africa. Edinburgh is much closer than either of those two places. So we've talked a lot about the highlights. We briefly talked about some of the hard things. I'm curious, what has been the hardest thing for you on this journey so far? What's been really tough? Has there been any time when you're like, ah? So the hardest thing was doing the first jump. It's like, it's raising the first PR and doing the first hi, I'm here. I've tried to do this. Had a lot of anxiety around it and I was checking it constantly and all this kind of stuff because I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But now that that's over, the more challenging thing is around when you're involved with people who are disagreeing and that can get very contentious sometimes. Some people can be quite triggered if a suggestion that it wasn't jumped on or that people disagree with what they're saying. I think it's a really interesting challenge because it can be that you've misinterpreted what they said and perhaps it was a good suggestion, but also you can't accept everything. There's this kind of maintenance dynamic with some stuff is maybe a valid feature, but perhaps we don't want to have this added into the many things that we have. So yeah, I think that's definitely quite challenging. And because that we have fellows and we have the people who are paid on the framework, it's nice that I don't feel like I have to resolve everything. And there will be people who come and help. And especially if the situation gets very heated, they would step in and, and help. And I'm aware of that. But yes, it's a good experience to have those kind of challenges that you don't necessarily get in your day job. What advice would you give to someone who's contemplating becoming a maintainer of a project or wants to get into this sort of fun little world? So if you're like me and you just want people to be nice, then I would do a little bit of research first. So before you raise that first PR, double check that the package, the repository has some code of conduct. There's generally a um, check that's there. It's just a tick box thing. It's often, it's the similar thing has been put in many places. So you don't need to check it too much. It's always a good sign that it's there. And then I would look on a couple of the issues or a couple of the PRs and just check the vibe of the conversation. And if the maintainers are generally very grateful and welcoming and positive, even if they're saying that things need to be changed, but if the vibe is quite positive, 
then I think it's a safe space and you should just go for it. Because with a lot of packages, they are really grateful and they really want the help and they really want you to have a good experience because they also want you to come back and all this kind of stuff. A lot of places will really want you to succeed and they will really help you get that through. So even if it's not perfect, they will do that. And then, yeah, I'm just excited for you that if you go on that journey, you will meet a lot of great people. You're going to have this kind of mentorship relationship with all these fantastic software engineers on the internet. And yeah, so just check it out a little bit before you jump in, but then jump in. Love that. Thank you so much. That's excellent advice. I love checking the vibe and just jump in. Where can people find more about you on the web? Do you have social media or a website? No, not really. Cool. <laughs> I'm very bizarre. Yeah, no, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Sarah Boyce, I suppose. Otherwise, I'm really on social media. You can follow me on GitHub if you really want to. Yeah, but that's about where you can contact me. On GitHub, you can see my email. You can send me an email if you really wanted to. Great. No, that's actually probably matches with your, I just want people to be nice. Let's just avoid them <laughs> places where they're not. So good job. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about maintainers and about your role and what you've done and how it works for you. I really appreciate the calm level approach to just be nice, do good code and everything is good. So thank you. Listeners, we have another podcast coming on after this one. We're trying to do two podcasts in a row for this special maintainer month thing. So do stick around and thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's this maintainer thing anyway? This is a special podcast, one of several. In this series for GitHub's Maintainer Month, we are interviewing actual maintainers of open source code. So talk to them about what they do, how they like it, and what they need to keep going. Oh, God, to keep going. So very excited to have David Blass. David, it is excellent to have you on calling in today from Boston with the amazing checkered bow tie or possibly plaid. It's a plaid bow tie. Honestly, I could not even tell you the fashion distinction between those two things, but it's got a nice, it's a it's got a nice, it's not nice colors on it, you know? Well, I really like it. So thank you so much. David is a full-time JavaScript open source developer, and he's the author of Archetype. That's not A-R-C-H, but A-R-K-T-Y-P-E, capital type, capital ARC, but not camel case, kind of weird. What is Archetype, David? So Archetype is a validator for runtime data that's designed to allow you to write definitions that look just like TypeScript. So it mirrors TypeScript's own syntax for defining types. So if you're used to writing something like string or a pipe operator, usually number or combining two types using an and as an intersection, those things are all available natively within Archetype and they work the same way. The really cool thing about it is it has a built-in static parser. So as you're writing your validator definitions, you get live feedback with each character you type from within TypeScript's type system that says, hey, you're missing like a right operand of your, you know, or expression, or ah, you like didn't finish this token, or we're not able to resolve the type foo or something like that. So you get this like very, very type safe parsing feedback, feels very satisfying to use with full autocomplete and everything. And then when you're at runtime, you get a validator 
that's also been really heavily optimized and is several hundred times faster than a lot of the other validators out there as well. So it feels like you get a lot of the best of both worlds with that setup. For those of you who don't know, JavaScript is the most popular language on the web using 98% of client-side websites. I will. I do have to... Yeah, I do have to advocate for TypeScript as descriptive name of the language that I'm pretty much using for everything. Not that like it isn't end up being JavaScript and that this doesn't compile to JavaScript to allow you to do runtime validation. But until JavaScript goes forward with their pending proposal to add type hints, pretty much everything we do is TypeScript focused. So it'll just clarify things in case anyone was worried that we wrote any of our source in pure JavaScript. No, no, that's really useful. I was just talking to the listeners who may not know what TypeScript is. So it's a subset of the JavaScript language slash superset. It's like another thing that goes into JavaScript, which has the things that JavaScript doesn't have because JavaScript was made in 13 days. And it's just a very bad language all around. And so TypeScript just makes it a bit better, which is really useful for large companies that have a lot of people working on their products and don't understand why it keeps breaking. They're like, okay, let's screw JavaScript. Let's move over to TypeScript. And to do that well, you have to have a validator, which is the kind of thing that archetype is. So what this is, is a multiplier for the skills of your JavaScript developers at scale. Doesn't mean JavaScript doesn't work personally, but at scale, it just works a lot smoother. David, does that sound correct? Yeah, that's definitely accurate. I think the more you scale a project, the more important it is to have static types and clean interfaces and things like that. And TypeScript helps a lot with being able to do those things efficiently. Essentially, I would say, even if you're not working on a large project, what TypeScript offers is developer experience. So say you're even just getting started, building a toy project, building something small. It's really nice when you open up your editor to have like auto-completions for everything you can do and to see when you pass a string, when you should have passed an object, you get this like really rich editing environment. And all that's powered by TypeScript. And if you're used to using editors like VS Code and things like that, Even when you're writing JavaScript, it's actually using TypeScript's engine under the hood to power a lot of those same auto-completions. It just won't complain at you when you type something wrong. It's kind of like, hey, did you mean this? But then if you say something else, then it just leaves you alone, which is great for sort of like prototyping. But eventually, you probably want to get to a point if you're growing a project or something like that, or if you just like TypeScript better, because I mean, I'm certainly so used to it at this point that I pretty much use it for everything that it's nice. Usually TypeScript errors represent things that are actual problems in your code. Sometimes you have to work around parts of the language, but for the most part, it's a really useful tool. And if it's telling you that there's a problem somewhere, then it's probably right. So the real focus of archetype is, and it's even actually the motivation for the name, is arc being like a boat that theoretically took a bunch of animals and brought them somewhere to save them from the flood. Well, it's kind of like when you compile TypeScript to JavaScript, Normally, you lose all that type safety and all that type information. You won't have access even by a reflection or anything like that to be able to see like what the intended type of some variable was, which means you might have to define your types for your static inference and then separately define a runtime validator. So the idea of archetype is kind of simultaneously like you can take your types and save them from the flood of compilation or whatever, and then they'll still be available at runtime. And also just that it's a single type that you can use that kind of like transcends that boundary of being statically available and dynamically useful. And you actually need to check when you're running your code, hey, is this still the type that I'm expecting, which is particularly important when you have user input, you're dealing with IO scenarios, getting a response from a server call, reading a file, getting a form that's filled out. Those are all cases where you likely already have a type describing the data you need, and you probably don't want to be maintaining two definitions. That's all really useful. It shows something which is excellent. 
which is that you are passionate about this and you know exactly what you're talking about and you are probably the main maintainer. In fact, you are the main maintainer and founder of Archetype. Is that correct to say? Yeah. Cool. So you have all the knowledge necessary to take this project and make it work, to make TypeScript better, which is really cool. It looks like it's the number one TypeScript validator on the web. At least that's what TypeScript.io says. Does that sound right? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, cool. I, I well, it should be. Yeah, it uh, should yeah, be. Yes, yeah. I'm working on it. But um, uh, there are some, some big validator projects out there that I think we have significant advantages, but I just published the alpha version of this a few weeks ago. So it, it needs a little bit of time to be recognized by the community so I can surpass them based on its merits. You said my favorite word there. So tell me about the community that you have behind Archetype. Yeah, so it's been really exciting for me. I guess from a sort of personal perspective, this was a project that I stumbled upon essentially as a need when I was building a totally different tool related to browser testing. And I just got so obsessed when I learned like what type system was capable of and that I could build even a static parser that would give you this live feedback and kind of bridge the gap between TypeScript and JavaScript. And so for about like a year and a half, I sort of just like was working on this just a crazy amount, I feel like probably 90 hours a week. I just like was so obsessed with this problem. And at times, I feel a little bit isolating. So when I actually got to a point where I said like, hey, the foundation for this is really solid. I'm really ready to release this and start getting feedback and iterating from there. And there was this really positive initial reception. And there's been this like really steadily growing community of people who've engaged in ways that I didn't anticipate at all. I even just initially just giving them even a taste without really documenting things as thoroughly as I'd eventually like to do. They'll sort of like really delve into the source and be making pull requests or logging these incredibly specific issues about like, oh, if you create this crazy scenario based on these three sets of cyclic types, then, you know, things break. And like just to have people who are so deeply engaged with what you're doing and invested has been such a rewarding thing for me and so important in terms of my energy level to be able to keep investing in the project the way that I want to, because it's one thing to know that something's theoretically important, but it's another to just have the like day-to-day -day kind of like sustenance and engagement you need to be able to feel like you can give it your all. And even if I want to be working on something like without that kind of community engagement and feedback, it feels like my energy over time is just going to go down. So what's happened recently and the engagement that I've had has been so valuable to me. So it says on your main readme for Archetype, that we've been working full-time on this project for over a year. Tell me about the funding model for that. So yeah, it's mostly my savings account. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, entirely. So our goal now is to pursue VC funding. We have some ideas for essentially web services for validation and some kinds of opportunities to do instrumentation for TypeScript code that would you know allow developers or possibly AI driven development to leverage archetypes runtime type validation to ensure that the code that's written is correct. So I think there's some powerful opportunities out there for ways we could leverage this. I'd also be open to funding models that would allow it to continue as like a purely open source project if that's viable. Really what I'm most interested in optimizing around is just making sure that the project can grow to like reach its full potential and can be utilized by as many developers as possible and it's as high quality project as we can make it. So I'm glad that you are thinking about VC funding. You mentioned that there's a we there. Do you have another core maintainer who works on it with you? Yeah, I've got another maintainer who is working full-time on the project. 
He has been helping a lot with a lot of the infrastructure for the repository. And he actually found me streaming on Twitch and was... Nice, that works. Yes. <laughs> I mentioned that like it can be kind of lonely to be like just building something like that in isolation. So independent of actually having other people I was working with on a day-to-day basis, I was like, well, I'll just stream my work and I can engage, get some engagement that way. And it definitely did work. And now I have someone I'm working with on a day-to-day basis on that kind of stuff. So it's been awesome. That's also been incredibly important for me over the last several months. And it's been very helpful. And of course, we're always looking for more contributors. And I think the project has a lot of really unique opportunities to learn some aspects of TypeScript development that are going to be new to a lot of people. I think there's some pretty big innovations that really haven't been done in any of the projects before. So if you're really interested in the type system, the capabilities of that, and some really efficient ways to create performant static types, might be a fun thing to delve into that I'd certainly be excited to help you contribute to. What I love about your project in general is it does seem to be really open to things. Most people are not this good at taking some of their passion about and saying, this is for you, please help share it with me. For instance, you have a section just called collaboration. Hey, you want to collaborate? Get in touch. That's beautiful. It's awesome. I love it. Tell me about your users. Do you have any corporate users who are working on this project so far? So we haven't quite figured out the sort of like analysis around how our user base breaks down at this point. Unfortunately, just the project being so nascent, it's like, again, just I made that initial post to the community, I think the beginning of March. So my focus at this point isn't even on recommending like, hey, if you're looking for a validator that you can use in production at your bank, like you should adopt this right away. I mean, it is really thoroughly tested. And honestly, I plan for it to be at that level within the next couple of months. Right now, we're at this alpha stage where you haven't frozen our version one yet. There's been a lot of use in the community, and there's been a lot of engagement in the Discord community that we created, but it's still not something that like has been broadly adopted in production. It's kind of something that I foresee making that push in the next couple months. And I assume that as we stabilize and freeze the first major version API and get better documentation out there for it, that's kind of the point at which I think a lot of the people who have been really interested in it and focused on the development of it would want to start bringing it in and using it in production their companies. That's what I would be doing at this point, I think, as well. That makes sense. You have 1.7 thousand stars, though. So it's not an insignificant amount of people who have liked this project and gone on to maybe use it. You just have yes. to figure out who they are and how to talk to them well. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, engagement, specifically on Discord, it's been a great community that I just set up a few channels that, hey, let's talk about archetype. I'll answer all your questions. I love doing that kind of stuff. And I think we have 65 or 70 people or something like that in there at this point. And a lot of them are like really engaged and just like wanting to really push the limits of what the stuff is capable of and getting involved with very complex scenarios, which I love. It's just really nice to see people kind of taking it and running with it. So I think there's a lot of people who care a lot about it. And I think specifically, since I kind of had the opportunity at this point after the initial release last month to get a lot of community feedback on, hey, these are the things that make sense to us. These things don't make sense. you know. And I have some really clear ideas about the next release we're iterating towards, which should actually be out in the next few days. So maybe by the time this airs, it'll already be out. But basically with that release, a lot of these APIs will be stable. And I think we've nailed a lot of those core problems where things weren't necessarily clear to people with improved documentation and some really optimized performance and metrics around that. I think that at point, it should go from something where a lot of people have seen it and said like, wow, this is something that's never been done before. This kind of has a lot of potential as a project to something that people can start actually leveraging that potential in their day-to-day work and really saving themselves and their team lots of time in terms of development, catching bugs more easily, 
And then again, the sort of performance optimizations as well being something where if you're working in a perf sensitive context, the fact that like a lot of the most used validators in the space, it's a few hundred times faster than those with on the new branch should be something that you, a lot of people would be interested in. So excited to share that. So I've noticed you have a projects board, which is really cool, which tracks your development stuff. All these ideas are excellent. I don't see them on the website. I don't see them on the readme. Where can you go if you're a corporate potential sponsor to learn about how you can integrate into these things or see what's on the roadmap next that might be relevant for you from a product slash marketing perspective? Yeah, that uh, definitely an area where we're probably lagging a bit. I think I like wrote something up on the readme where I'm like, hey, if you want to collaborate somehow, like message me. And, I like that bit. I like that bit. I just want to see that somewhere written more explicitly because what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I just wish that was also part of the project because I feel like that may help, especially with pitching to VCs and the like by saying, listen, here's our business proposition and here's where we can take this project. I think my initial instinct was to sort of keep the core open source project and sort of our concepts around monetization mostly isolated from one another because the goal of the open source project is mostly pretty isolated as like a validator within TypeScript. We're not going to like monetize that directly in any way. I don't know if you've heard of Pygantic as sort of like similar project that exists in the Python world. They actually just got $5 billion from Sequoia to build out web services around their Python validation system, which I think is great for me, honestly, because it takes a little bit of pressure off sort of making the case that like, hey, this like very fundamentally new idea that like an open source validator in a large ecosystem can be effectively monetized. Well, sure, that just happened with Pydantic, so they haven't proven out the model yet. But the fact that a huge VC like Sequoia is willing to take a pretty big bet on that kind of project makes it seem more viable that an even bigger ecosystem, a project like this with a lot of momentum, is something that has significant monetization potential. Totally agree with that. I just want to keep riffing on like on business ideas. Like One thing I want to ask is, what is the TypeScript market? How many people are using TypeScript? Right, because everyone's doing JavaScript, but how many people are using TypeScript to the point where they might oh. need a nice, handy validator? Yeah, unfortunately, off the top of my head, I can't tell you how many billions of developers are using TypeScript and JavaScript. What I can tell you is if you look at metrics around discussion around the languages and that kind of like engagement sort of idea of like, we need some way to measure how big a language is, right? There's lots of different ways to do that. But that like TypeScript is the same. It's very similar to JavaScript. And in basically every modern development environment, the trend in JavaScript in general is just like use TypeScript. It's just better. Sure, some people will object to that, but it's just the reality that like... I object to that, just to be clear. That's okay. <laughs> that's just me. But, that's just me. I mean, <laughs> I guess if you just look at like trends for major projects in the web ecosystem at this point, it used Fair. to be that TypeScript was like an add-on and sort of like an afterthought. There's this like types, you know, repository where people would add TypeScript, TypeScript, JavaScript projects. Now, if you don't have native types to your project, a lot of developers see that as a red flag because it's such a big priority for the community. And even if you don't care about it, so much a community does that like you really need to take responsibility for providing good static types for your code. I actually do want to clarify though that people can use archetype in JavaScript and it will still give you the same completions and type hints and everything like that and make the developer experience better. Sure, I think having actual type errors is nice, but it's still you'll get all the performance benefits and all the DX benefits from even a JavaScript environment. So it's not limited to only TypeScript. Amazing. David, this has been really fun. It's really cool to see your project. It's great to see someone who's very motivated and on top of it and understands what the project needs and how to make it go forwards. I wish you the best. This is super awesome. 
For other maintainers or for other corporate sponsors maybe looking into this, do you have any tips of advice or wishes or final thoughts? Sure. Certainly, this is the kind of thing where some folks out there who are interested in potentially sponsoring a project like this would be listening, perhaps clarifying a couple of the core ideas about how something like this could be monetized. So in addition to creating, having a core model for web services for validation or you know an ORM type service with this very deep representation we have of type systems that's already built into our type, I think a really interesting idea is this idea of instrumented code that could be checked at every point during the code's execution for validity. So every time you assign to a variable or every time you pass data to a function, we could use archetype without anyone having to have adopted it even. But just based on, for example, like if you have TypeScript type annotations in your code, we could just run through your whole code and say, hey, here are the points at which the data wasn't actually the expected type at runtime. And if you're trying to get an AI to write code for you, you might notice that it does very subtly wrong and obnoxious things that are hard to debug. And something like this could have a lot of potential for allowing AIs to write much more verifiable, accurate code. And that would be something I'd be very interested in monetizing. I think that, again, the focus of the core project itself is on building something the TypeScript and JavaScript community loves and growing that organically and sort of devoting a lot of our resources to building a really great validator. But being able to then harness the same power that, that's behind this validator for some of these other scenarios is, I think, something that has tons of potential. So if you feel the same way, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Cool. And you can reach out to David. Where exactly? Where's the best spot? David at archtype.io. Just like the web. Remember, that's A-R-K, not A-R-C-H. Yes. That is awesome. The, David, it's been boat. great to have you on. Yeah. The Ark of the Covenant. Make a covenant with your users to use types. Thank you so much, David. This has been really great. It's cool to learn about what maintainership looks like from your seat, what your project is like and what it's about and how it's useful for other people. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and look at more. And you can find podcasts at the same OSS.org is where all of our episodes are, as well as the show notes for this episode. If you have any thoughts, you can send an email to podcast at sustainoss.org. That'll go to all the hosts. And we'd love to hear any comments as well as any other guests we should have on. We also have a discourse at sustainoss.org if you want to go and talk about things. A thread will be put for this conversation where anyone can look and make comments. People rarely do, but I think they should. So maybe that could be you. And also please like this podcast and talk about it with other people. We don't do any advertising, so it's all word of mouth. So the more you do, the more listeners we have, the more we can have conversations like this in the future. And with that, have a good day. Good luck.